0: Before the U.S. feels the inflation, other countries feel it first, and then they feel it. Then I, I wonder if uh, if they'll dollarize or go to something else, um, whether it's Bitcoin or to the Chinese yuan or something else. Uh, that 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 is very interesting for me. I think there is room for Bitcoin to sort of find a find at least a niche, if not something greater in all of those places. Uh, and, you know, th- this is where sort of like that next stage of uh, fiat collapse is very interesting because, you know, um, we're, we're kind of seeing uh, people adopt Bitcoin because they have to and not because they want to.
1: Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit BitcoinBasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. We have a brand new podcast. Visit myprivacy.help to subscribe. Did you know you can completely control your personal information without relying on a third party? Faris, Gordon and industry experts explain how you can reclaim control of your data, your privacy, your life. Visit myprivacy.help. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. We are the 14th of June, 2023. The price of Bitcoin is $25,000. Sorry, $25,800. The block height is $794,000, 794, Let me try that again, guys. The block height is $794,251. All right, Gordon, maybe I should stop here and let you just talk for a uh, half a minute.
2: I think the funny thing is, Farris, when we start, first started doing podcasts, I was editing everything. I was cutting that, cutting stuff Now I'm like, no, nah, leave it in. Um, we just interviewed Jimmy Song. And, man, th- this is the third time I've had Jimmy on. And he's amazing. Um, I love Jimmy. He's got, he's just, apart from being highly knowledgeable and highly technical and knows what he's talking about, he's able to explain extremely complicated Uh, concepts and fundamentals um, quite clearly for us sort of non-developer types. And so, yeah, we had a fascinating interview with uh, Jimmy. We talked about uh, Bitcoin NFTs. We talked about uh, Nostra, which is the new social media uh, platform built sort of on top of Bitcoin and everything in between. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it was fascinating. I mean, I could talk to Jimmy for three hours asking questions and, um, yeah, he's such a breath of knowledge. And apart from being an amazingly nice bloke, he's super interesting as well, Faris. Oh, he is. He, he's incredibly generous
1: with his time as well. So, I mean, whenever we reach out to Jimmy, he's like, yep, come on. He'll come on the show. And, um, yeah, very generous and just wonderful spirits. And he talks about he's just been traveling the world for the last nine months with his family and um, his insight into, yeah, culture and Bitcoin and, Yeah, we could have kept going in this conversation. It's uh, always a treat.
2: Yeah, so it's a good sort of update if you sort of think about Bitcoin and what's happening and you're not sort of sure. It's a good sort of review. of There is a lot happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin gets criticized quite a lot for being boring and slow and there's nothing happening. All the innovation is happening on these altcoins. That's not true. Absolutely not true. So, yeah, have a listen to this. And you'll be excited, whether you have Bitcoin or not, about what is happening in Bitcoin.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Well, we, we really appreciate you joining us, Jimmy. We know how pressed for time you are. And it's great that um, yeah you've we've been following your journey around the world. It's been amazing. Um, there's been a lot going on in Bitcoin and um, two things we want to talk to you about today are Noster and Ordinals. Um, these are a couple of things where we are the Bitcoin Basics podcast. There's a lot of stuff we tend to avoid. <laughs> but uh, well, Noster for one seems to be picking up a lot of um, a lot of momentum within Bitcoin circles. Um, tell us a little bit just for the person who's never heard of Noster. Why is it and should they be taking it seriously?
0: Yeah, so Noster is... Uh is basically a decentralized twitter or more accurately sort of a decentralized protocol that you can build pretty much anything on um and the first sort of uh you know set of applications seems to be mostly twitter-like so you can publish stuff to the nostr network and um you know various uh, relays pick it up and you can go subscribe to certain people's nosters um the the main feature is that it's decentralized so um the way twitter and facebook and all of these platforms work is that you when you write a tweet or write a status update or you know add a picture to instagram or something like that they all get uploaded to a server and then uh, when your friends subscribe to you, the database at the server keeps track of it. And when you request uh, updates, they push it to you. Uh, NotSER doesn't work like that. It, it works through Relay. So you push your updates to the Relays and people pull updates from relays. So if the Relay doesn't like you or doesn't want to store data or something like that, then they don't have to. But there's not just one, there's many, many. In fact, you can just go run your own if you want. Um, and many people do, uh, and this gives you kind of, uh, much more control over your own data. So, uh, instead of, you know, relying on, uh, Twitter or Facebook's goodwill to not censor you, um, you just keep things and, you know, publish to whomever you want. Now, if you piss off a lot of relays at some point, they might just like not store your data. So if you're a perpetual spammer, for example, they have no obligation to do that, but, If you want to be the spammer and try to push it out to whoever, you can, but you know, you're not likely to get many followers and so on. Um, it, it essentially is sort of like a platform, uh, that is very much like in the spirit of the original internet. It's, uh, it's by nature decentralized and you can push, uh, you know, data and publish things on your own without even need for, um, you know, much more than a private key. Uh, and that that's the beauty of it.
1: Sorry, Jimmy, just one thing for the non-tech people in the room. What's a relay? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So a relay is, uh, is basically a place where data comes in and data goes out. And, um, you can think of a, a server as a similar thing. Data comes in like you, uh, when you write a tweet and you press enter, that data goes to Twitter servers. And then, uh, from there, it gets pushed out to all the users. Uh, so a relay is sort of like a mini version of that, but anyone can run it. It, it doesn't have to go through Twitter when you, uh, write a tweet, you it has to go through Twitter or it never gets into your profile or push to your users. Um, a similar thing with Facebook, Instagram, and many of these other social platforms, you have to go communicate with uh, their server in order to do it. Uh, but with a relay, you publish to many different relays. And they can do whatever they want with it. Um, and, you know, some, some relays have, may have like storage limitations or, you know, anti-spam measures or whatever. Uh, so they might not, uh, publish your stuff to their users, uh, or to other, um, people that are listening to that relay, but that, that's basically what it is. And it's called the relay because between you and, uh, someone that subscribed to you, it's sort of like the relay of that data. It goes from you to the relay to them, but it can be, uh, essentially anybody and it's an open protocol. So, um, you know, if you want to subscribe to a relay, there is a code you can write fairly reasonably now with chat GPT. And, um, and if you want to write a server or a relay, um, you can do that too. It's, uh, it's very open, uh, as opposed to something like Twitter. Or Facebook, which uh, which thrives on being sort of the middleman and injecting ads in between the time that they suck in your data and give it to somebody else.
1: So with Twitter, if I want to post a tweet, I obviously have to go through Twitter servers. There's no options. Um, with Noster, mm-hmm. I go through a relay. If I'm not happy with that, I can just jump onto a different one. Um, is there a concern for privacy? Am I posting my IP address, anything like that, to a relay? Should that be something I'm worried about that whoever's running a relay can see who I am and see what I'm posting, where I'm coming from?
0: Uh, I guess so. I mean, if you if you're concerned about that, you can certainly uh, you know use a relay over Tor or I2P or some other privacy-preserving sort of thing. Um the, the main thing, though, is that there's a private key that you control and you sign all your messages with that. And if it doesn't validate, they don't push it out because they can't prove that it's from you. So they can't sort of like falsely pretend to be you, um, uh, unlike Twitter, which can. I'm not, I'm not saying that they have, but it's definitely possible that an employee could get into their database and update it and... Make it uh, sound like, uh, you know, George Soros said something weird or something like that. Uh, so there, there's sort of like a, uh, like a security closer to the user because you, you protect your own private key. Uh, whereas with something like Twitter, it's all based on your password and maybe your two factor auth- authentication um and but ultimately it's it's them uh it's the data in their database that determines what is quote unquote true in in that platform so uh it, it's different and uh just to give you an idea, most people if you're running a noster client, you're connected to about ten relays uh but there are literally hundreds, and I imagine future noster clients will connect to, you know, sort of like a random assortment. They're talking about some sort of a gossip protocol for uh node discovery and things like that. So you can you can discover other relays and sort of automatically connect to those and you know, you can also keep like a record of your your own data. So uh someday you might not like Noster and some other decentralized uh, protocol pops up. You can um, parse that data and go publish it somewhere else and it's still all yours you don't you don't have to rely on Twitter's goodwill uh, to download all your data or your content or whatever uh, for a long time this was a major reason why people wouldn't get off of Facebook because they provided free photo hosting <laughs> so it's uh it it, it that those sort of things um, kind of matter. And, you know, having sovereignty over your own data is kind of the point of Noster.
2: For comparison, Jimmy, how how is it different to say uh, Mastodon? Mastodon?
0: Uh, so Mastodon is like a single server. And I, I guess they have like a peering and things like that. First of all it's it's not really at a protocol level it's more at a software level for Mastodon, so you run the Mastodon software you set it up uh set up the server and so on and everyone has to run essentially the same software uh with um uh, with something like noster you can you can write your own um and in fact you know i I started writing one just because I was curious how it worked and I wanted to play with chat g p t so uh, I asked chat GPT, Hey, uh, look up the Nostr API and, uh, you know, show me how to write like, uh, you know, uh, something according to NIP01. And it actually gave me code that kind of sort of worked and I had to tweak it and test it and make it actually work. Uh, but yeah, you know, th- this is, this is the new world of programming now. You can, you can like, uh, see how something works and. And uh, and program against it without with while uh, you know not doing all of the grunt work of uh, you know like trying to figure out why this API stupid API key won't work that sort of thing so um, yeah uh, yeah there's there's a lot of uh, um, you know different mastodon instances and things like that. Um, I would say that Nostr is at a, at a lower level. Um, it also has lightning integration, which as far as I know, Mastodon doesn't. So mm-hmm. you can zap people. Uh, so if you appreciate something that they said, you can just sort of tip them natively in lightning. Um, you, you have to, uh, have something set up on your side as a recipient. So, you know, there's, uh, essentially an LN URL at the back end that, um, that they query and it, Pops them an invoice and they pay the invoice and all of that occurs in the background if you have a Noster client that is uh connected to a Lightning wallet. But it's uh it's it's pretty cool. I've uh, I've published a bunch of stuff to Noster. I've gotten, yep. you know, um, I don't know, uh, I wanna say around seven or eight hundred thousand sats and tips, um, just you know, wow. like from random posting <laughs> whatever. Um huh and you know i i think people do that right like it's uh they they appreciate it uh i i think one of the like about half of that came from like jack dorsey on one tweet or something but <laughs> but that that sort of thing happens and it's uh yeah it, it's it's an interesting ecosystem uh I, I, who knows how sustainable it is as far as like being a stream of income but uh, the key is that it's permissionless it's decentralized it's not controlled by anybody so there's a lot of innovation going on it and mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing new clients try different stuff every week. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the key thing that differentiates it
2: from everything else. So what's the, it's, f- it's re- sorry, go, go I was just going to say it's fantastic because we, you know, a lot of people, they don't like Facebook and they don't like Twitter and they're going mm-hmm. somewhere else. They're going to Mastodon or they're doing mm-hmm. a stack overflow. I think you still do maybe stack mm-hmm. overflow. I'm not sure, but, um, you're sort of playing whack-a-mole, you know, like you move to a new platform. Yeah, this platform is privacy protected, but then in six mm-hmm. months' time, they sell your data or or they get bought by someone else. And you're just constantly moving, moving, moving. So mm. this is awesome, some sort of decentralized social network. Um, mm-hmm. One question I had, and maybe it's too technical, but why and how would you want to set up your own Relay for NOSTA?
0: Uh, well, I, you would have to find the relay software that you like or write your own. Um, it, it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward with the protocol. Um, it's all published as NIPS, which is, uh, slightly racist, but also kind of funny. Um, but there, there are no stir improvement proposals and you just, you just go implement whichever ones as a server. It, it, and, uh, and you know, uh optimize accordingly um, if you want to program it. But there, there's a bunch of relay software that you can uh play with uh and see see what you like. Um uh but yeah, I, I mean the the key is that you do have the ability to create your own, uh just like the users have the ability to kind of move their data. Um the thing that's frustrating about Facebook or Twitter or any of these platforms is that it's not easy to transfer your data over to some other platform. If you don't like Facebook, you can't easily take all of that data and especially your network and, you know, plop it on over somewhere else. Uh, and th- this is what actually keeps, uh, this is the moat around social networking and why a lot of people are reluctant to leave Facebook is because that, that network is there and the rest of the network can't move. Um, and this is the advantage that I think Nostar has over the long term is that you can, uh, you keep your network. The network is yours. The data is yours. All of it is yours. All of those connections, all the, all of, they're, they're all downloadable. You just, you just have them. And if you don't like the client you're using, just go try something else. Uh, there's like hundreds of them. And if you don't like the policy of a relay, go choose someone else. It's, it's all based on sort of like user choice and what you want to do and you know a lot of people use damos right now that's the um uh, that's the uh the iPhone uh client for nostr and that by the way comes from nostradamus right like Noster, damus, damus that's that's where that name comes from uh but that uh you know they that's one of the most popular ones um and they just got banned by the apple store like earlier today uh so um you know they're talking about putting it back and stuff but it's entirely possible uh for all of those people to just move to another client and you it's like it's like nothing happened you it didn't matter that it got banned uh there, and we know that there were a bunch of apps that were banned that were supposedly social networks and stuff but the power of this thing is that you don't you don't uh you don't need Apple's permission if you <laughs> you can have a browser you can run it um uh, you can sideload it on an Android phone. You can um, you know, create your own client from scratch, whatever you want to do. And that that's that's the key.
2: And that's what you just said is super important because you've got an open protocol. And it would be like if you you enjoyed the Facebook interface, but you hate Facebook. Well, it doesn't matter. You move to a Twitter interface or you move to a Mastodon <laughs> interface, or you just keep on moving around and find something you like. But you don't have to move your data. Like your data is there, you own it. And, and more importantly, you are buy your in cloud. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. So,
1: what's the incentive for someone to run a relay? How are they gaining from this? Is there a financial incentive, economic one? How does it work? Uh, yeah. Uh, and
0: we're still working this out. There were a bunch of relays at the very beginning that were just sort of running for free. They got overloaded, and then they started charging like one time lightning fees to uh, be on their relay. And then once you paid the invoice, you can sort of connect with them forever. <laughs> I think eventually they, um, you know, I mean, they're not going to run themselves. Uh, they're they're probably going to need some sort of business model. And I think the most direct one is probably the most uh, reasonable, which is you pay for them to sort of uh, give you the data that you want. Um, and, you know, that cost bandwidth and so on, and you can price it in lightning. So it's however many sats to go suck in this much data or whatever. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out ways to monetize it. And this is, uh, this is where if you have good ideas on, uh, you know, reasonable ways to run a relay, um, you know, this is where you can probably make a lot of money. Um, uh, now, like, there, there are enough people with, I think, spare, um, CPU and hard drive capacity that you could kind of run it almost like a SETI at home. You remember those? Like, uh, you know, you're looking for like alien signals, uh, of radio waves or whatever on the idle CPU time. I imagine you could do something like that with a NOSTA relay where, you know, on your off time, it'll, you can, you can sort of like act as a relay or something like that. Um, no, that's just an idea, but they, they, there are many ways in which this problem can get solved. It doesn't necessarily have to be a super profitable business or anything. It could be a hobbyist thing. It could be something that you do for your network. It could be something that you do just because you want to make sure that the, uh, that the network has, um, you know, relay that other people can trust. Um, and you know, there are many reasons people run these things and, uh, you know it, it'll be as ver- varied uh in motivation as uh, as that
1: thanks Jimmy and for the noobs, as someone who they're hearing about Nostr for the first time want to give it a go um because there's quite a few different downloads applications available mm-hmm. where where should they start
0: well the the easiest absolute easiest like uh thing to do is go uh go to snort.social um and that's that's a web-based, uh, Noster client and go to snort.social, uh, generate a private key, keep that private key safe somewhere and then, uh, publish your public key to other people and let them know who, who you are. Follow some people using the interface, uh, or, you know, go look at the global feed and, uh, see who interests you and start following, uh, some people and, you know, try it out. Uh, and if you're, if you're brave, go and hook in your lightning wallet, uh, to snort and, and, uh, tip people for, you know, things that you like and so on. Uh, but that, that would be, that would be one way to get into it very, fairly easily. If you have an iPhone or Android, um, you know, there, there are apps that are a little more refined and polished, uh, that, that might be, uh, you know, that might give you a better experience. Just make sure that whatever say private key you have, you insert into the same thing, and you see the exact same stuff. So, you know, um, you can have a different client on your phone than on the web, uh, on your desktop or whatever. As long the the private key is the only thing that matters, because that that's what identifies you, and that's what you put into the app, and uh that. Uh, you know, you get private DMs through that, the public key associated with that private key and so on. So, um, you know, that, that's how you would use it. Um, and like I said, it's a protocol. So there's a whole bunch of things that are possible on top of it. Uh, people have already, you know, used it for a lot of DMs and stuff. There are Bitcoin proposals for, uh, you know, signing PSBTs over Nostr DM and, and so on, because, you know, um, you know the communication aspect can be a little bit tricky and there's no uh you know there there's no like uh network level uh thing to do that with bitcoin so th- this is a really useful kind of way um to communicate uh to you know do do a lot of stuff it's it's uh it's honestly like the the possibilities are so many and this is what gets a lot of- pro- programmers like me excited because Wow, like we have something decentralized, and you know, you can do this, this, and this. They're talking about like kind of getting rid of DNS almost. You can like when's the last time you were able to publish like a blog post without having a domain name? Um, you could do that on Naster, right? Like there's no domain name, you you just publish it and people can verify that you did it and you know, tip you for it, even like it's it's crazy. You could be completely anonymous. Make a ton of money just like posting stuff to Noster or, you know, um, I guess if you're like an AI image generation engine and you're some hacker in Russia, you you can get paid for that by running some sort of roaster Noaster bot um that, that does that as a service whenever they get tipped like five thousand sets or something, right? Like there's there's so many cool sort of interesting business models because there's like no friction from A monetary perspective, you can get paid for almost anything, and there's like you don't need to set up anything else. Like you don't need a a a name, uh, a domain name, or anything. You just have a public key, you publish that, and that's it. It's 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 incredible, actually. Uh, It's it's kind of the way that the internet was uh, originally designed, uh, which never really quite fulfilled those expectations on.
1: Is there a concern that it can be used for nefarious purposes then? Oh, of course.
0: Um, and I'm sure that that will be the thought around it is, you know, spies are using this to communicate or whatever. And there's no back door to it. Um, and... You know, I, 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 imagine, um, the, this is the thing that will probably get it on the government's radar. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is, oh, you know, drug cartels are using this or child pornographers are using this or something like that. But here's the thing. The, the, the people that sh- the people that shut things down, uh, like they're, they're the ones to worry about more so than, the evil people that might be using it as a tool um it's a it's an amazing tool which is why a lot of people use it uh but it's all but this is why it's so powerful because there's no central authority that's able to shut it down uh or control it um and you know we we know for example that a lot of twitter DMs and your Gmail and your Facebook uh private messages and stuff like that like that FBI can go in and read any of that at any time if they have a warrant. Uh whereas your NoSter DMs, they ain't reading that without your public private key. So th- mm. that that's that's some powerful stuff. A lot of these like apps sort of say that they have end-to-end encryption. Remains to be seen how end-to-end they are, because it's it's hard to prove something like that. Um mm. And we, we don't really know. Uh, they like to say that they do to sort of make you think that this one, you know, because it's a private key. You have it. No one else does. And, you know, I mean, you can, you can be even more paranoid and like keep the private key somewhere else. And I imagine there will be products eventually, and maybe it'll be sort of integrated into hardware wallets, uh, where, you know, the, the signing of the message happens on the, uh, on the, Hardware wallet, and uh, but you compose it on your computer or whatever, but the signing happens on a separate device so that it's kept even more secure. Like no, no one's gonna
2: snoop on your stuff. Well, that's the beauty of open source, isn't it? That's why I don't use closed source uh, software for very, <laughs> very important stuff. And uh, if you're doing something dodgy, you're probably hanging out in a private Telegram group. Uh, rather yeah. than Nostra. So anyway, <laughs> um, so many possibilities. And it's sort of like Bitcoin, you've got an open protocol. And if you're a developer or someone slightly technical, you don't like a Bitcoin wallet, go create your own wallet. Like it's, you know, it's that, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it. Um, you can mm-hmm. just participate. Now we could talk about this forever, but Jimmy, I, I want to pick your brain like about a million things. And uh, mm. another thing that um, we've been talking about lately is Bitcoin Lightning, of course. Um mm b r c twenty ordinals what's it all about is bitcoin gonna die due to network fees is bitcoin <laughs> nFts killing the world what's going on
0: well uh, uh so ordinals are uh sort of like um a particular way of counting sat so a particular sat represents something um and this is a really old idea. In fact, I, uh, this is how I got into Bitcoin. I, I, I worked on something called colored coins back in 2013. Oh. And oh. the idea of colored coins was, um, you take a uh, normal Bitcoin and you give it special meaning by convention by saying, okay, these represent shares of my company. These represent, um, you know, X, Y, or Z. Uh, so it, that, that sort of idea has been around, um, since at least 2013. And, you know, that, that's, um, that was the basis of, a uh, uh, a lot of what we call altcoins now. That, I mean, mm-hmm. Vitalik was actually on that color coins project. I was, was going to say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he, he launched the Ethereum based on what he thought the direction of color coins should go, which was, Basically, being a platform for scams for uh, for him, uh, for me it was you know like something like securities or something like that. Uh, which uh, which now that I look back, it's just kind of it doesn't uh, make sense to do it on there. But uh, anyway, uh, so ordinals are are not very different than that, and NFTs, of course, are sort of non fungible tokens, and it's basically by convention saying this one this thing represents something and then when you transfer it it represents something else and at the very beginning uh the reason why they were doing that was uh almost kind of a troll it was okay let's fill up the bitcoin block space with a giant you know jpeg of a wizard or something and uh and you know they literally took a jpeg file and put it into the witness field and said ha ha you know uh you know checkmate maxis or something like that 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 was that that was sort of the initial thing um and they sort of decided to continue with it uh i guess because they were uh you know uh, getting a lot of attention for their sort of stupidity i guess or their uh nefariousness or their uh you know they, their notoriety or something like that so, uh, so they, they kept doing that. Um, and then, you know, everyone realized kind of this is stupid. Why are you putting the entire JPEG there when you can just put a hash of it there? That would be a lot more efficient and space saving. Uh, and that this is where like the more, um, you know, like the other standards kind of came in. Uh, but all of it is really just sort of additional tokens on top of Bitcoin. Uh, and this is something that a lot of affinity scammers like to s- sort of do a bait and switch on. Oh, I'm pro Bitcoin. See, I'm only for coins that are on top of Bitcoin or something like that. When really they're still sort of issuing their own token and selling it to the public and, you know, essentially defrauding them out of a lot of money. So that, that's the way I see ordinals is, um, it's a way to, hype something, uh, and get the public's money for it. And this has been proven over many years that people will buy almost anything, uh, if they think other people will buy that same thing. And it's almost like a momentum of its own, uh, and ordinals have that as well. So they're, they're trying different kinds of things. I mean, already it's kind of dying down, uh, I think uh even like three or four weeks ago it was the block space was like very congested, and uh you know you had more than like six point two five bitcoin in fees uh in a particular block um that's not the first time that happened by the way in twenty seventeen there there was a block with more than twelve and a half when the uh block reward was twelve and a half so but you know that that kind of tells you like um you know, there, there was sort of like a bubble there. And then, uh, you know, it's come down since then. I think, uh, I checked yesterday. I think it was like 15 sats per byte would get you in on the next block, which really honestly isn't very expensive. Um, it does seem like it's put in kind of a new floor, but this isn't the first time another protocol has tried to use the Bitcoin blockchain for stuff like this. You know, Factum did it in 2014. VeriBlock did it in 2017. Um, Counterparty did it all through 2015, 2016. Um, so the, this isn't an uncommon thing. And, you know, people make it sound like it's all new and it's because of Taproot or something like that. It's not. It's <laughs> the, the stuff is very old. They're just sort of marketing it a little different and uh, just trying
2: to make Bitcoin maximalists look bad. So you, to summarize, you'd be on the side of Anabak, who says it's a waste of blockchain space, basically.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's similar to all coins in that it's a complete waste of time. It just takes people a while to realize that, uh, for the market to realize that as well. Um, and you know, like it, it, if there's anything in Bitcoin that, that proves stuff, it's just time and, if it actually is an innovation, t- you know, talk to me in five years, right? Uh, are those ordinals, you know, like doing anything? Is anyone using it for anything useful in the real world? Then we can talk. And that, and this has always been sort of my position with a lot of these altcoiners. coiners. They're like super convinced that this is life changing technology, blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, let's just wait, right? Like five years, let's see where you are. Let's see where Bitcoin is, right? If you're actually innovative, you'll go up against Bitcoin in five years time. If you're not, then you'll go down. Okay. What's happened with almost everything? They go down, right? Like that's, that's been the case. And it's, uh, it's so incredibly obvious that they don't really have any utility and that, you know, bare Bitcoin would have been the better purchase. So, um, you yeah, know, it, it takes a lot of people time to learn. I, I suspect that. Uh, a lot of this is envy, you know, they, they feel like they got in too late on Bitcoin. So they want to get in on something new and hot and they'll listen to almost any narrative. Uh, and, however stupid. And this is honestly one of the most stupid, right? Taproot wizards or whatever and dressing up like whatever and hating on Maxi somehow. That's supposed to build a community or something like that. Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous and stupid kind of thing. Uh, but like I said, like time proves this this stuff, and you know we we're already seeing that the bubble has burst on Ordinal, so we'll we'll see.
1: Yeah, heading on Maxis, I'm reminded of a story of um I can't think of the author's name, but he wrote the Creature from Jekyll Island, um, talking about the central reserve banks and all that, and he said the amount of hate he got from people, and he he'd ask these people what specifically in the book do you disagree with. So he's never been given a single example. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, it's sort of uh, there's an emotional attachment to sort of hating maximalists or something like that, and they they they're very disingenuous. Um, you know, I find their arguments about as convincing as like atheist proclamations of the sp- flying spaghetti monster or something like that. It's just it's just very cringy and, uh, you know, I kind of ignore it. I, I And, you know, for me that that's uh, a lot easier mentally to like deal with and not have to waste so much time, like doing that. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're much bigger fish to fry. There are a lot, uh, more important things to worry about. You know, I, I I'm in this space to bring people financial freedom to help them, uh, take the burden of the state away from them uh, in terms of their savings um you know that you know helping you know people in lebanon uh, save their money like really you're gonna you're gonna do the do anything close to that or anything even positive with you know wizard jpegs on a witness field in a particular transaction that anyone can prune really like yeah. it just seems like a complete waste of time and not doing anything good for the world, um, which is why I think there are just a bunch
1: of rent seekers. Hmm. It's funny. I um I took a break from Twitter and hmm. the, I so I wasn't aware of Bordinals stuff coming up, and then I get a, a message, a direct message from Brian Harrington, because what do you think of Bordinals? Uh-huh. And I'd just been on the Thank God for Bitcoin fan. So I was in that uh-huh. that whole theological uh-huh. mindset. So I respond. What do I think of ordinals in reference to theological or religious ordinals? And <laughs> it was this very long VN and I've not heard back from him since. <laughs> <laughs> He's
0: probably very confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good yeah, tactic. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that's a that's a very good way to respond to the uh, to the trolls, I guess
2: um i think a lot of people got sucked into the hype of this because it was bitcoin's chance to shine you know like ethereum and there's all these nfts you know and we feel left out so now we finally got it you know we 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 finally got nfts on bitcoin i think that's why people got sucked into it
0: uh, yeah and and they don't even know the history right like we had nfts on bitcoin in 2013 Uh there were rare pepes on uh on a counterparty which is, runs on top of bitcoin in 2015 2016 like so, like there there've been stuff like that for a long time it's not anything new we had crypto kitties on ethereum in 2017 and like people think this is new it's not it's never been it's just old stuff recycled and hyped up again uh by vcs or something it's it, it's it's not new but you know people will fall for whatever narrative because they think it's interesting or i don't know they they want to believe it's true so they could get rich or they can deal with their own rent seeking or their own conscience i i don't really know but yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of uh there was a lot of hype around it like i said it's best just to ignore it and uh, steer people away
1: from it if you can that's what we've been trying to do for what three almost four years on
2: well, we we go back to the database. Can I replace your project with a database? If ninety nine point nine percent of the time I can, so it's like, well, yeah, let's just use the database because it'll be any faster and cheaper. But anyway, Um, I remember back uh, yeah. in the day, Factum as well, and they were trying to do. I think they are trying to do like PDFs and do all kinds of stuff in the blockchain, and also there was the Bit DNS, and I, mm-hmm. I think Satoshi also wasn't a fan of that. He sort of said it would pollute block space, and uh, it's not really what Bitcoin's about. Um I Sorry, guess Gordon, if you want this day and age, I think you need to refer to Satoshi as they.
1: <laughs> they
2: <laughs> the pronouns for Satoshi are they and them. No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, sure. Um, so yeah, anyway, this has been like the millionth project trying to uh, put something into the blockchain to sort of, you know, tie it to the real world. And if you want to do that, maybe a sidechain or something like that, but hey, most likely. Just use a database. It's cheaper and faster. And, um, uh, and lots of other services do the same thing. <laughs> like they, yeah. they've, been, they've
0: done it for a lot cheaper all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it, it just makes zero sense. And everybody wants something on a blockchain so they can sell a token on it. And it's like the most inefficient and stupid thing ever.
2: But yeah, but, I mean, VC's gonna VC is going to VC. Yeah, exactly, Jimmy. And some Bitcoiners are like, because it's, you know, Bitcoin's amazing or whatever, so let's bring that into Bitcoin. It's like, well, no, most of the time, actually a central authority or a central company, private company could do that faster, cheaper, because you're trusting them anyway. So it's, it's the whole, why would you want to have Uber on the blockchain thing? We're, we're doing this whole yeah. blockchain wars thing again, it's all over again.
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, it's, it's so stupid. Uh, and it's almost always pushed by some VC that wants, uh wants their token to go up or something like that. Um, now, what's interesting is you can have something like Uber on Noster. And I think people are trying to make that happen um the you know you you would basically have maybe like a relay that sort of uh you know host this kind of data and you you can know okay um this person is here and you can select somebody and pay pay them but you know um the data exchange aspect it makes much more sense on uh, on moster um Whereas, you know, doing it on a blockchain doesn't really make that much sense because you have to, you're, everyone's storing all of that data. It doesn't make sense. You, You should only store data that's like pertinent to you. If you're a driver, you want like all the data pertaining to the rides you've given and not everyone else's rides. Who cares about those? Um, versus, uh, and if you're a rider, you just want the ones where you've ridden. So. It's kind of a you know that that sort of thing makes sense on Nostr because you have this peer-to-peer communication layer that makes it possible, and you you just you would need a third party to sort of filter for those, um, and you know multiple relays can do the job to make it more reasonably decentralized. But this is where like uh, a company can come in and come up with some sort of like Nostr. Uh, you know, Uber replacement where, you know, they, they have people that need rides on one side. Uh, these are the asks and then the people that are willing to provide, uh, rides, uh, the bids, something like that. And then they can negotiate and figure this stuff out and do all of that settlement, uh, you know, with an agreed upon like signing and and things like that. Now, you you need a lot of software to make it happen, but the protocol is there and it's decentralized, so you can, you can kind of program against it and make it happen. Uh, but doing it on a blockchain makes zero sense, uh, and this is this is where kind of Nostra and Bitcoin intersect in a, in a way, because of all of these projects that sort of made stupid excuses to make their own own token. Nasser sort of like runs natively with lightning and it doesn't have a have this blockchain stuff it, it makes it so much easier to program something reasonable that the market might use uh, and because of its open source nature uh it, it has certain advantages over these centralized things although the centralized things have their advantages too particularly in the form of you know fiat money and investment and things like that
2: Okay, so that's a big no for, uh, for Ordinals from Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> um, what other? I mean, you're obviously super excited about Nostril, and something that uh-huh. we need to, Faris, we need to get into as well, or as some some people call it Nostril. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. what other projects are you excited about or working in? Like, what are you doing, development sort of wise?
0: Uh, well, I've been writing the book for like the last nine months. So that, that's been kind of a big one. Uh, the, the main thing that I've been, uh, I've been looking at are, uh, well, I, I, I'm getting, I, I'm starting to dig in a little bit into lightning, uh, and particularly like, uh, with respect to how it in, uh, interacts with Schnorr signatures and music and frost and things like that. Uh, and there, there's some really exciting possibilities there. Um there's also this new protocol called Arc which uh I think I'm I'm still trying to really kind of wrap my head around but it's a layer 2 protocol that's um compatible with lightning and has um it's sort of like uh UTXO recycling or uh it's uh you know they they call it like VTXO virtual transaction outputs uh and you can Sort of transfer between people, uh, fairly easily within them. And it it can uh, seriously reduce the on-chain footprint. It's something like a coin pool, but compatible with lightning, uh, as I understand it. Uh, but that, that, that's very interesting to me. And, uh, you know, what we're, we're seeing lately is that when you combine some of these layer twos together, uh, you get, you get something really cool and interesting and covering sort of like the weaknesses of these particular layer too. So for example, like during the fee spike, what we saw was, um, you know, uh, people doing, uh, opening channels using liquid Bitcoin, right? Uh, so you can create a lightning channel off of liquid and LBTC trades at par with BTC cuz you can transfer um either in either direction uh so instead of opening a channel on the main chain you could go over to liquid which has very very low fees and open a channel there and if you if you had somebody routing that had one channel open with LBTC and another chain uh, another channel open with BTC and they can sort of transfer one for the other you can can essentially open a Lightning channel kind of for free, right? Like the the uh, big thing about uh, the weakness of Lightning is that you have to have that on-chain transaction to open a channel to make it useful, and that channel might be expensive when fees are high. Uh, but you know, Lightning uh, Liquid kind of covered for that, and th- this sort of like synergy. And of course, Liquid the it doesn't have as big of a network. So by hooking into lightning, now it has access to a lot more, uh, you know, it, it has the sort of reach of the lightning network. So they, they're both sort of covering for each other by, uh, combining these layer twos. Uh, state chains has sort of like similar properties. That's another layer two where you, know, you pass UTXOs around and there's like a proposal for, uh, opening a lightning channel off of the UTXO that doesn't need an on-chain um, transaction to transfer, so you can you can have essentially a, a new channel open without any on-chain footprint, uh, which which would be even better than the liquid thing. So there there are all these synergies between L2s that I think are uh, have a lot of potential. ARC being another one. Um, which which could definitely like sort of really make the Bitcoin network almost work seamlessly. And it requires a lot of software, a lot of development, a lot of UX uh, testing and things like that. But this is the the kind of thing that we have to think about as we get a lot more people using uh, Bitcoin as a method of payment and so on.
2: And that that's really the pain point, is it? Uh you can do all this amazing stuff on this layer two and something like mm-hmm. lightning, but at the end of the day you're opening and closing channels for that initial and uh mm-hmm. second transact main chain on transaction. And as you said, if the fees are high or whatnot, then that's that's sort of an issue. So um I understood about fifty percent of that. Uh Faris, <laughs> how many percent did you understand? Forty nine.
0: <laughs> that's pretty
2: good. Well done. Um,
0: the key is that basically the weaknesses of lightning, as you know, it have some solutions in these other layer twos. So if that's the case, then let's uh, speed up some of the development on these layer twos. And there's like so many layer twos that are coming. I, I didn't even mention Fediment and, mm-hmm. uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, mutiny doing some uh, interesting stuff. Um, and there's, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of different projects that are trying different things. And, you know, th- this is sort of like possibly leading to the next, uh, soft fork in Bitcoin, uh, which would be, you know, if, if Arc really is as useful as we think it is, and if it proves itself out in the market, then it might make sense to do any prev out or Opsy TV or something like that as a soft fork. Uh, cause then you can enable all of this stuff in like a very seamless way and make it, uh, work really, really Well, um, and synergistically with lightning. Um, so yeah, those are all really cool and exciting things. I I don't think any of it comes to to fruition, you know, in less than five years. Uh, but Mm. those are the things that I've been looking into.
1: This is what I, coming from a non tech perspective, truly appreciate about Bitcoin is, yeah, and they say, what would you prefer an idea or good people? And you want good people because the wrong people can screw up a good idea. Bitcoin is an amazing idea and you've got, it's attracted the world's greatest, you know, mathematical, scientific minds and they're not under deadlines. Like, you know, with an IT department, a big corporation, you got the CEO saying, I need this done by the next AGM or quarterly results and it might not work, but they're not going to listen to you. You have these IT geniuses who are under no, you know, Overarching pressure to get stuff done. So this is why it's like, great. These guys are working on this. They're trialing it. Use Litecoin as a test pod. Um, it's fantastic <laughs> that, um, yeah, this is what I just, I really appreciate about Bitcoin is that not these guys are just working on this slowly to make sure that it's safe and secure.
0: Yeah. And, uh, this is in contrast to all coins. They, they really do work kind of like the, Corporate IT departments that you just described—you have to get this feature out on this date, and if we don't hit it, then whatever. And they have roadmaps and things like that, and that's how you can tell. And sometimes they slip on their roadmaps or whatever, which gives them even less credibility. But it's completely centralized because they—they <laughs> have a roadmap. Oh, we're going to move to Ethereum 2.0 by this date and this date, and we're going <laughs> to get rid of it. And how many times has that deadline slipped? I like if there—if that were any sort of like normal software company or game company or anything where deadlines actually mattered, then, uh, you know, the Ethereum should be at zero. But, uh, but instead, you know, they just sort of use it as an excuse to, I don't know, hype or say something. And it's, it kills me that such bad software engineers get credit for being good software engineers. It's, it's, it's sort of like, uh, I, I imagine this is how like Michelangelo would feel if he were, to observe modern art and uh, see how ugly it was and say, this is what they consider good artists now.
2: (laughs) I think you're being too kind, Jimmy. They're not software engineers. They're web developers.
0: (laughs) That's kind of a, (laughs) that's an insult (laughs) to web
2: developers, man. No, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I take that back. (laughs) Uh, Now you mentioned a, a new book. What do you, now last time, by the way, I did, I did do. I looked at our last episode, which was 19th mm-hmm. of November, 2021. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about Taproot and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of good stuff. Uh, you mentioned a new book. What are you working on? Uh, what have mm-hmm. you worked on? Has there been anything since? Thank God for Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. So there was a book after that, uh, Bitcoin and the American dream, which we published, um, not last year, but the year before. Uh, and that, that's a book for policymakers, politicians, people, um, that are in government. And we wrote it specifically for them because, you know, like I, I still remember I was on a phone call, uh, like a zoom call like this with, uh, with Ted Cruz and, uh, and we were, we were trying to convince him that Bitcoin was a good thing and everything else. He said, can you guys just wait a second there's there's a bill i have to go vote on and he ran over voted on it came back and he was like okay so there's this new provision that's uh you know cho- you know broker dealer language that could include minors he, and and he asked us a question that kind of took me off guard so he goes what do you want us to do what do you want me to do like <laughs> and i was like vote against it like offer an amendment like what what do you want to, what do you want me to do and I was kind of like shocked at that question, but at the same time, it made all the sense in the world because if you don't give them direction, right? If you don't tell them what you want, they're not going to be able to help you. So, you know, in a way, we wrote that book uh, as a, as, as a way to inform them. Okay. You might not like Bitcoiners. You might disagree with them vehemently, whatever, but here's what we want. Uh, right? Like, and if you, and here are the people that you'd be disenfranchising if you went against us so we made the case for uh you know uh you know like the liberal case the conservative case the rural case the city case the innovation case and the national uh defense case and everything else but it it was hey like you know on on a per capita basis uh or uh, on a percentage basis more black people own bitcoin than white people and That's usually very surprising to a lot of politicians. They're like, wait, what? Why is that? And we go through exactly why. Well, you know, as a U.S. government, you had Jim Crow laws and things like that. You basically took property away from black people and you've been doing it for generations. So if you if you're a black person and you know about this history, you're going to want something that the government can't take away. So like that, that's a very powerful argument for black people. It's like you have a history of the government taking away your property. In fact, you were property, right? Like 150 years ago. So for, for those people, it makes all the sense in the world to put money into Bitcoin because it's not something that they can take away. And like when, when we present the argument like that to say Cory Booker, right? Black senator from New Jersey, he gets it. Right. Uh, and, uh, he, 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 he kind of understands it. And, and that, that's what that book is meant to be. It's, it's for policymakers. It's to give them an idea. Like the people that you think support Bitcoin aren't the people that you think it is. You, you think it's just a bunch of anarcho-libertarian tech bros. Um, and there's certainly a lot of us like that, but it's also a lot of other people that you would not expect, like military veterans who are against war and things like that. So that, that's that book. Now, the new book, <laughs> let me tell you about the new book. The new book is Fiat Ruins Everything. And I am publishing that with Bitcoin Magazine. Um, and, you know, actually right after this podcast, I'm going to have to go work on editing some of the, uh, the chapters. Uh, but it, it argues, uh, sort of at various levels how fiat money has ruined, um, everything that we hold dear. So, Sort of at the individual level, our relationships, our neighborhoods, our communities, our jobs, they're, they've all been debased and ruined by fiat money. Um, at the next level of sort of like groups, um, used to be families and communities. Now it's mostly companies. Um, all, of, all of those things have been ruined by fiat money, um, even something like charity. Uh, at the next level, at the nation state government level, um, things have been ruined by fiat money for a lot of obvious reasons. And then even at the global level, uh, of, uh, you know, international politics, uh, fiat money has ruined a lot of stuff. So that, that's what the book is about. And I make the case, uh, for, you know, how it's ruined all kinds of things, including, uh, you know, science and education and art and, mm-hmm marriages and child uh families and things like that so um yeah uh hopefully it's a it's a fun good read uh and you know i, I think i submitted like ninety thousand words uh it'll it'll be out in the next few months and uh you know i'll be doing some sort of a kickstarter for it a few weeks before launch
1: well well we'd love to have you back on jimmy
0: when that gets out Hope so. Uh, I've been very excited about writing it and like, man, this is going to piss off some people. I've already pissed off my editor because I wrote this chapter on art and I think that guy is a fan of modern art. Yeah, so...
1: Well, if you're not making enemies, you're not making a difference, isn't that
2: the saying? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh the editor is great, by the way. Like just gave me fantastic feedback. Just really hated that art chapter. That's that's what I could tell.
2: <laughs> oh, awesome. We'll definitely have you back on for that. And uh you've been traveling um for what, nine months, a year. How's that been? Mm-hmm. Are you happy to be back? Are you in different
0: i um, kind of find it appropriate that the last stop that we stopped at was Auckland, New Zealand. And I'll tell you why, because that's probably not something that you expect to hear. So we travel for nine months, uh, starting in September. Really, it was like, we, we did like, uh, t- almost three weeks in London and Scotland, uh, like in August. And we're home for like 12 days just to like take care of our stuff and, sell our cars and things before we left on the trip. So it's, it's almost been, it's basically been about 10 months and we went all over the place from Europe, South America, Middle East, Southeast Asia, Asia, and obviously uh, Fiji and New Zealand. Um, And we ended the trip in Auckland before flying to LA and then coming back home to Austin. And so Auckland was for us sort of like the last place that we, we were at. Uh, and I say it's appropriate because, uh, we got to visit the Hobbiton movie set. And, uh, and you guys, you guys are familiar with what that is, but just for your audience, it's, uh, it's the movie set for Lord of the Rings, uh, and it's sort of the Shire, right? Like the, the place that Frodo starts his adventure and where he ends his adventure. Uh, and it, it was kind of a cool thing. And as, as uh, to get the kids excited, we watched all three movies of Lord of the Rings. And what I was struck by, uh, was, you know, they're, they're on Mount, uh, Mount Doom, right? In Mordor. And, you know, it's getting really hard and, you know, Frodo can't go on. And Sam's like, you know, we're going to go back. There is going to be a return trip. You know, you got to, you got to think about like the, mushrooms that grow and the flowers and you know all the all the good things about home and uh and you know they they finally find the strength to make it and you know they drop the ring into mount doom and everything's great and and then uh you know they win the war and uh the four hobbits are back in hobbiton at the Grand green dragon inn and sort of like looking at each other and saying you know Like it's good to be home, right? Like they're they're finally home. They're they're finally there, and it's it's something that they they've been looking forward to all of that trip, and they're they're sort of changed people, and in a way they appreciate home more as a result of having been on that adventure, and that that's sort of the mentality I wanted to have coming back home because it is very easy to sort of live in the past a little bit and only think about. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what you were doing. Uh, but if, if you have the right mentality, it should be that you appreciate the present that much more because of the adventure that you've been on. Um, and for me, it was like a great reminder to end the trip that, you know, like you go on this journey and do all of this stuff. Uh, but in the end, it's, it's for something. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's to, um, you know, grow. As a person, uh, you know, the, the characters in that movie grew tremendously. And it's, it's one mm-hmm. of the things you sort of appreciate about, um, you know, how even, you know, a disgusting character as Gollum like grows a little bit and changes a little bit, even though his, uh, greed sort of consumes him at the end. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, you know, the adventure, uh, the journey, uh, is much more, uh on the inside than you would think uh and mm. that's that's one of the sort of lessons I, I i've gotten out of it and obviously i i appreciate like uh you know having gone to all of these places and meeting bitcoiners on uh like on every continent pretty much and things like that uh but yeah it, it's uh it was an adventure um I help more people do it. Uh and you know, I, I called it my Bitcoin sabbatical. And you know, uh, you know, more than one person has told me, Hey, like, I totally want to do what you do what you did. Like it's it's my dream. I'm like, well, with Bitcoin you can, you know, I'm <laughs> like start saving. And once you get to a certain number, go do it. It's 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 uh you know, like that's how people used to like fulfill their dreams, right? Like start saving, work hard, hmm. go good, you know, when when the number hits the number that you plan for then go do it right like if it's making a movie or you know taking a trip or you know uh starting a business or whatever like this is how life is supposed to work uh, and under bitcoin you can um it's unfortunate that we're still in, stuck in kind of a fiat mentality where no one thinks that they can save uh because you know, they're always trying to outrun inflation I, I mean, Bitcoin kind of mm. makes that possible. Uh, it just requires a little discipline from you.
1: Yeah. And that's something that we don't have anymore. And uh, when you're talking, I just think of the old Saturday not Live skit with Steve Martin, where they talk about credit card and using a credit card. And that's, <laughs> yeah, we haven't learned, but that's no, quite a beautiful journey um, mm. that you had mm. yet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing, Jimmy. Yeah. It's a one stipulation I have in my kids. As soon as you finish high school, you're taking at least six months off, travel the world on your own.
0: <laughs> very, very, uh, peewee of you. <laughs> there, the, the thing is, I, I, uh, the thing that inspired this trip, honestly, was, uh, the European backpacking trip that I did when I was, uh, w- when I was 25. And I, I had just gotten laid off of my first job, right? Like I, I, I had this job out of college and you know, I had it for uh, three, four years or something like that. And I, I got laid off. I had some money. I didn't have a girlfriend. So I was like, you know what? Now's a good time to go do something like this. So I went to Europe, backpacked for three months, and you know, it, it like opened my eyes to what like a non-US perspective is and, and things like that. So uh, but I mentioned that because almost everybody I met on that journey, right? Like staying at hostels and stuff, they were either Aussies or Kiwis. And, uh, and then, uh, three years later, um, I had ended a contract and I decided I want to go to Australia this time. And I backpacked Australia for three weeks as a 28 year old and all the people I met were Europeans. So I think there's like a massive exchange program of like, you know, going, going one direction or the other, um. By the way that that Australian trip right after that trip I met my wife and uh we got married like a year later so it, it, it all happened very fast and honestly this last year was the first opportunity I could go again
2: Oh that's fantastic awesome <laughs> I love hearing travel stories yeah that's that, that's amazing I actually and I think uh Kiwis are per capita the um, most traveled uh people in the world I'm I'm pretty sure about that I'm not,
0: uh, I, I i think maybe uh the dutch and maybe even canadians might have a quibble with you I think they <laughs> like there are way more canadians traveling than americans at least back then so
2: yeah yeah um faris you're muted
1: oh sorry canadians are leaving canada in the moment it's probably why <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> <laughs> out of all the countries jimmy Oh, continents and countries! What like we 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 hear about El Salvador all the time, but Mm -hmm. what country continent has you super excited about Bitcoin?
0: Um, Well, so there there are lots of Bitcoiners almost everywhere. So um, yeah, like I went all through the Middle East. You know, uh, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Turkey, Georgia. all of the, all of those places have like a Bitcoin community. And, and I met up with people in each one of those. Um What, what's uh, I, I, I wouldn't say excited, but what I'm really curious to see how uh plays out is in these middle Eastern countries that have, that are in various stages of hyperinflation. So Lebanon is definitely hyperinflating, right? Like they're, um, uh, their lira on the day I arrived was, uh, 44,000 lira to $1. And on the day I left, it was 49,000 lira to a dollar. I was only there one week. Right now it is 94,000 lira to a dollar, or at least that was two weeks ago. It might be even higher now. Uh, but it, and you know, that, that was January when I was there in like six months, it's doubled. So it, it's, it's in, it's in, it's inflating really, really fast. Uh, Turkey is, uh, not that far along, but it's getting there. Um, Egypt is st- sort of starting to get there as well. Uh, and like the official rate and the black market rates are sort of diverging. Um, and I, I'm really curious to see how it plays out because the general pattern that I've seen is that almost all of those countries, uh, use the dollar as a backstop. So in Lebanon, like, uh, first of all, the largest bill is a hundred thousand lira, which at the time I was there was worth like two dollars. So you have to like carry a stack this big to pay for anything, right? Uh, and you know, I, I guess like printing a larger currency is kind of like doing a reverse stock split. It sends like sort of the wrong market signal. So like governments are very reluctant to do it. Uh, so people use dollars for large purchases because I mean, the largest bill <laughs> is now one dollar. Uh, so. Yeah what 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 are you going to do uh so there there's a like Lebanon has kind of gone through dollarization curious to see if Egypt and Turkey will follow that same path or whether like the dollar it, like depending on the timing if there's like sort of quantitative easing at the same time that they're they start hyperinflating and usually When the U.S., before the U.S. feels the inflation, other countries feel it first and then they feel it. Then I, I wonder if, uh, if they'll dollarize or go to something else. Um, whether it's Bitcoin or to the Chinese yuan or something else. Uh, that, that, that is very interesting for me. I think there is room for Bitcoin to sort of find a, find at least a niche, if not something greater in all of those places. Uh, and, you know, th- this is where sort of like that next stage of, uh, fiat collapse is very interesting because, you know, the, um, we're, we're kind of seeing, uh, people adopt Bitcoin because they have to and not because they want to. And that, that dynamic is, uh, is something that a lot of people o- almost always ask me questions. How, uh, what's, what's going to happen? Or is there going to be revolution or whatever? My answer is always like, I don't know, like how, how, how's that supposed, you know, it depends on a lot of circumstances. Uh, but sort of watching it in other countries and seeing how they react, uh, whether the dollar sort of keeps its role or doesn't that, that to me is the interesting part and sort of like the canary in a coal mine for what's going to happen in the United States.
1: Yeah. And it's, yeah, like you said, people dumping Bitcoin because they have to. I mean, in countries that you mm-hmm. just described in Central American countries, it's. Bitcoin is a means of survival, whereas in the you know, mm-hmm. United States and all this, oh, it's just speculation. I'm we're just gonna trade in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and that that's a reality for most of the mm-hmm. world. Um, like uh, half the places I visited, you know, they've gone through multiple currencies in like the last 30 years or something like that. Um and that, that's completely normal, you know, outside of US, Europe and, you know, may, maybe, you know, New Zealand, Australia, you know, Korea, Japan, something like that. Like outside of the first world, you know, it, it's just sort of regular occurrence that the money debases and you re-denominate or change to a different currency or something, uh, and you lose all your savings. Um, you know, I, I've seen it, uh, referred to as sort of like, uh, the, uh inverse Sabbath year, right like or uh you know where instead of having your debt wiped you get your savings wiped every seven years you know like it, it's it's kind of a ridiculous uh and but evil thing that's happening in a lot of countries uh and we'll, we'll we'll see where all that goes because i suspect that a lot of human capital gets wasted uh because of the monetary madness um and you know, where it could be a lot more productive under a sound uh, money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's um, we're just happy. I would appreciate your time so much, and it was great catching up with you in Auckland. And anyone listening, where would you like them to find you, follow you?
0: Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Jimmy Song. Um, if, and you know, I think I have something signed that says, here's my no sir pub key. Um, uh, programmingbitcoin.com is my website. Um, my newsletter is jimmy song.substack.com if you want to read about Bitcoin from a technical perspective. So there you are.
2: Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. We really appreciate your time and you're sort of our. Uh, uh, insight into sort of what, cause we talk to a lot of people doing different projects, but you're sort of, you've got your hands in all this, uh, especially the Bitcoin stuff. Um, so oh. you're our lifeline to sort of see what's happening, uh, in that space. So, uh, thanks again for your time. And, um, yeah, we'd love to have you back on and plug your new book. Oh, well, I, I would love to plug it then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer any content provided by Coin Compass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit CoinCompass.com for more information and please contact us.